On Speaking Out of Place today, author, journalist, essayist, and critic Liza Featherstone. Liza Featherstone is a columnist at Jacobin and at the New Republic, as well as a contributing writer at The Nation. She's the author of Divining Desire, Focus Groups and the Culture of Consultation, published by OR Books in 2018, as well as Selling Women Short, The Landmark Battle for Workers' Rights at Walmart, Basic Books 2004. She co-authored Students Against Sweatshops, Verso 2002, and she was the editor of False Choices, The Faux-Feminism of Hillary Rodham Clinton, Verso 2016. She teaches at NYU's Literary Reportage Program, as well as at Columbia University's School for International and Public Affairs. She's proud to be an active member of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America and of UAW Local 7902. Welcome to Speaking Out of Place, Liza. Oh, thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be with you. As I told you, I read this article of yours. The Democrats will probably lose the midterms because our society is falling apart. And I immediately nodded in agreement, both in the prediction and the analysis. Uh, and so we were wrong. Uh, what happened yeah, well, I'm really thrilled to have been wrong about the first part of that. Making predictions is sort of a stupid thing to do, and sometimes I can't help myself, <laughs> especially making political predictions. I think that those are often very close lately because we have such a polarized public, and I think a lot of what I was seeing in New York was that voters were getting more and more conservative, especially worrying about issues like crime, and and that the Democrats seemed very ill-equipped to address that. Now, it is a common mistake for media people like myself to look at New York and not the rest of the country and think that what is right in front of us is somehow similar to what's going on elsewhere. And usually that causes us to think that it's pretty liberal and progressive and that there are all kinds of possibilities out there. And then, you know, we get surprised when things happen, like Donald Trump wins, for example, yeah, right. <laughs> just to, to take a painful recent example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the sort of way that we're usually wrong. But in this case, actually, New York was the only place that mm. really had a red wave where the Republicans really made gains. And in fact, if New York hadn't... um it had our debacle, the Democrats would probably have held on to the House, which they really only lost because of New York. So I was right about what was happening in New York, but wrong about what was happening in the country as a whole. I argued at that in that piece that Democrats are structurally ill-equipped to address issues like crime. Those problems are real. Um, take real resources. And because the Democrats aren't really willing to take money from the rich and put it into the culture of care that we really need in order to address those serious social problems, that uh, the Democrats would always lose when these kinds of issues of social decay and social chaos are prominent. That is exactly what happened in New York. It is not at all what happened elsewhere. In fact, elsewhere in the country, 
issues of crime weren't even so prominent. When you look at exit polls in the rest of the country, climate was surprisingly high on the list of problems on voters' mind, and issues about the economy were also very prominent. And abortion turned out to be an even bigger issue than many people realized it was going to be. So that disaster was averted. However, I am still worried that our society is falling apart. I do think it has serious political implications. You know, it's funny hearing your explanation of how you might have made you know, a, um, an erroneous prediction because I plead guilty of exactly the same thing. You know, being here out <laughs> on the left coast, the same kind right. of things were striking me that, um, you know, the, the recall of Chase Bowden, the mm-hmm. recent to go ahead and let these robots perform police duties. That was fortunately yes. withdrawn, but the inclination was there. The political will to even think yeah. of those terms was astounding to me. So I, yeah. I completely get it. And I'm glad that I was that yeah. we were both wrong. San Francisco is a similar dynamic, right? Yeah. Where you yeah. have, um, you know, this sort of liberal bastion where reactionaries have been able to make gains exploiting fears of crime. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a similar dynamic. Um, talk more about the structural obstacles, because... You very productively put that against a rather larger set of comments about what you just mentioned, care. You know, that there seems mm-hmm. on one hand, you have these hardwired things and these structural issues. But on the other hand, there's just the atmospherics of people believing that they're cared for, you know, that there's some mm-hmm. sort of sense of tenderness yeah. and generosity. Um, so could you talk more about that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's sort of a, a left-wing impulse to sometimes to look at these these social problems like rising crime rates and social chaos, litter in the streets, <laughs> these kinds of things. There's often an impulse to say, well, it's exaggerated and you know, that's not really what's happening. And it's a false narrative. And sure, there are lots of exaggerations about it um, from the right wing media. But there really has been in some places, a crime wave, there was certainly a dramatic uptick during the pandemic, which is starting to calm down now, but is still not great. And we have a lot of other social problems. People are still dying of opioid overdoses mm-hmm. at very high rates. Um, people are committing suicide. Uh, people are really inflicting violence both outward and inward. It's awful. And I think that conservatives can exploit those kinds of problems and say the Democrats haven't done anything about this. And they're correct, but they don't have any solutions either, because the only way to solve problems like this is to care for people much better and to create the kind of society where people feel cared for. And that's a matter of hard numbers in terms of versus and budgets. And it's also something that needs to be changed culturally mm-hmm. as well. You can't really do one without the other. There needs to be an entire investment in caring for people, which is not really a matter mm-hmm. of just 
you know, putting a couple more social workers into a school. There needs to be a more investment across the board in K through 12 education. Kids need after school programs and sports and things like that. And adults need so much more social support than they are getting. People need socialized health care. People need to be able to stay home with their children and their elderly parents if they, if they fall ill. We just had the spectacular failure of Joe Biden to support mm. the railway workers yeah. who were simply yeah. asking for a few more days of sick leave. You know, mm. we think of care as this sort of fuzzy female issue. Yeah. You yeah. Know, but, you know, Biden needed to demonstrate care for these railway workers, men and yeah. women, and allow them to care for their families. It's like really an across the board political failure by the Democrats. The Democrats are just fundamentally compromised mm. because they, they can't contribute to this culture of care because they're too beholden to the boss mm. class, to the billionaire class. And you see that at every level. In New York City, we have Mayor Eric Adams. He contributed to our red wave because he just natters on about the crime problem constantly without solving mm. it. Um, and uh, he's really fear mongers on this issue, making people often irrational rationally afraid to take the subway. And yet he dramatically cut the school budget. I mean, one in 10 of our public school children are homeless. They rail about crime, but what are they doing to care for people? The, the gap between what our society could be and the kinds of ambitions that the Democrats have is just is so wide. Well, to begin with, I completely agree with you. But you know, I'm, I'm thinking of those amazing moments when there's a disaster or some, mm -hmm. you know, catastrophic whatever, and yeah. people rise to the occasion. I mean, they will yeah. spontaneously, there's some, some care in them. But then Absolutely. you're right, there's no structure to sustain good impulses, right? We fall back mm -hmm. into our selfishness, getting back to Biden and the rail workers. I mean, as you point out, you know, it's sick pay. It's not, it's not, you know, huge wage mm -hmm. surges or anything. It's just the ability to be healthy. And you would think that that would be the mm -hmm. basic interest of employers just to have mm -hmm. healthy workers. It exceeds rationality and exceeds even practicality. Think of what would have happened if Biden had had some spine on this, right? And said, no, these people, mm -hmm. we, I want to care for people. I can't imagine that not being a political win for him. Right. It would cost nearly nothing. It would, right. It would have been a huge political win for him. And in popular terms, it would have been tremendous. We always talk about how our society is very polarized and it is. But sick pay is one of those issues mm -hmm. that um, unless you are an employer or own a business, you support workers mm -hmm. having sick mm -hmm. pay. So with the result that, um, I don't know, it pulls something like over 80 percent. People not only think that people should be able to stay home from work when they're sick, they think they should be paid. Um, and I think that it, that Biden standing up for the rail workers on that issue would have been um, terribly popular. I also think that it's another yeah. angle from which we see this structural problem. The Democrats 
can't break out of this slavish relationship Absolutely. to the boss class are really taking huge risks with the electorate in very close elections. Absolutely. I mean, I think back to, you know, 2016, you know, people were the impression that Trump cared. You know, mm-hmm. he would he would mm-hmm. quote, speak their language. He would say, I'm I'm let me be your voice. And and his mm-hmm. friend Hillary Clinton wouldn't even visit certain states. She was so mm-hmm. uh, right. arrogant. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. Trump had nothing to lose. She didn't even go to Wisconsin. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so what do you expect? Yeah. If you, you take people for granted so much. And I'm also thinking about, you know, Bernie's famous town hall on Fox News when mm-hmm. he just, he, yeah. you know, he cared and took away the, the main buzzwords. And he said, well, what do you think about this? Like sick leave, as you were saying. And people mm-hmm. were signing up for socialism without noting <laughs> that's yes. what they were signing up for, right? So why can't yeah. the Democrats get out of these horrible habits and incredibly limited vocabulary and, and adapt another mindset that would do better at least pretending that they care, right? I mean, they're not even good at pretending they mm-hmm. care, frankly, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see their donors and who's really funding these campaigns. A lot of the nuance that we might sometimes bring to political analysis kind of falls away. <laughs> when you look at all the, the millionaires and billionaires that contribute to mainstream democratic gains, that's the basis for a lot of, yeah. of the problems are, is just like the material underpinnings yeah. of these of these campaigns. It's always so boring when people are like, we got to get money out of politics. But it's kind of true. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of those DSA-backed candidates did very well. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, they did. They did. Um, they um, they all got reelected, mm-hmm. um, the ones who were the incumbents. Um, and um, we got many new ones in as well. So, so, so. Um, yeah, which doesn't mean, you know, I don't want to exaggerate that it's not the case that it's not um the case that you know everywhere that you know we see democrats um losing um that um uh, you know a bernie kratt or dsa type Mm -hmm. candidate would have done better but it certainly is the case that the message of improving people's lives and then getting in office and um, really fighting to do that does seem very popular and it's not surprising that it is. <laughs> so so here we are only two years away from the next presidential election. It seems that Biden is going to run. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what are your thoughts about, I mean, aside from Biden? I guess I'm not sure it really matters which Democrat is president in terms of questions like this. It certainly matters whether Biden versus Ron DeSantis is mm, president. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and obviously, it would be better, you know, if um, <laughs> some younger version of Bernie mm. Sanders was mm-hmm. president. But but that would be better not only because the decisions that person would make would be better, but because you know just so many things would have had to have changed on other levels of Mm. politics Mm -hmm. um, for that to happen. Like we'd have a better political culture if AOC were president, but we need to change a lot of things before Mm. that's, I think before that's, before that's even possible or before um, 
it's possible for anyone to be in that position and make the right decisions. You know, um, well, I'm going to insert some optimism again and say that, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I didn't actually mean that to be. No, no, no. I, no, actually, it, 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 it dovetails. <laughs> no, it dovetails, I think, well with what you were saying, which is that in terms of a, a new political culture and being a college professor, I'm, I was really pleased by the youth vote, quote unquote. And I think yes. that, yeah, that young people are absolutely concerned about climate change. I mean, this is yeah. this is a big issue. And I think the Republicans are so horrible on it. The, you know, the 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 uh, anti-inflation and you know, whatever Biden did in that respect, he did really well in this regard mm-hmm. of addressing yes. these issues. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was a hell of a lot better than anybody else has done. So Absolutely. I think that if Democrats can really double down on this, because, more, yeah. you know, young people can't afford to be apathetic anymore. I mean, they understand. That. No. So I think no. that the Democrats have a huge chance if they do something meaningful on that front. And the more people are engaged in that, they'll see the other kinds of things that Democrats, though they're not perfect by any means, still do a lot better than Republicans. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and I think that... Um, I think that Biden was not bad on climate, you know, considering the obstacles of Mm -hmm. Republicans in Congress and Joe Manchin and Mm -hmm. Kirsten Sinema get a lot of obstacles and, you know, nonetheless, um, you know, got a lot of climate investment in there. And I think it was, it, it, it was incredibly important, you know, for years, um, people have been overselling. Progressives have really been overselling the youth vote. People are always like, the youth vote is really going to make the difference. And then every year, like it, you know, it doesn't really. Um, but this year, it actually really yep. happened. You know, yep. and in a midterm, not a presidential election, which is really significant. There was massive get out the vote organizing at so many different kinds of universities, you know, just like, you know, public universities that just don't get that much media attention. And there were, you know, there were climate groups mobilizing people. And it's funny because, like, as I write a lot about climate change and there's such a, a kind of a bias against celebrating any progress because... Mm-hmm the problem is so huge. So by definition, (laughs) whatever you do, whatever you win or whatever victory you win, a lot remains unaddressed. But it really was significant. I interviewed a political scientist who tracks um, public opinion on on climate issues right after the midterms. And he said the IRA had to have made a, a huge difference and that it delivered material gains for um, ordinary people, there was a, like a sense of like of a lot of investment in jobs and in growing the economy. There was a sense that by doing these things, we're going to make America more competitive, mm-hmm. you know, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, not something that, you know, we as leftists really like to lean into, but people like to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, um, that it was going to address economic concerns that they had, and it didn't pass costs onto regular people like it like it was a very it was a progressive way mm-hmm. of, of dealing with climate issues yeah. and um and it worked and the youth um vote um really did um did reward them so 
there is definitely a lot to a lot to celebrate there. Well, that's that is an absolutely perfect note to end on. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, there is some audio static, but I think the content will overwhelm the technical imperfections. The discussion was wonderful, and uh, I'd love to have you back on to talk about climate change issues. I'm actually teaching a course on I've done this for the last two years on climate change and abolition. So Ooh, great wow. to talk to you about that. If you'd be willing yeah. to at some point. Yeah, 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 for sure. So that's where we left it on that note, inviting Liza back to talk about climate change and abolition. As I said during the broadcast, we did face some technical challenges, but I hope you enjoyed the broadcast nonetheless. I think that it was an interesting and productive discussion. And I look forward to talking with you again on another broadcast of Speaking Out of Place. Our next episode of Speaking Out of Place will feature an interview with Richard Falk, well-known human rights activist and legal scholar and former UN Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestinian Territories. Till then, stay well. <laughs>